pray together. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the reminder that your promises don't fail. What you speak, you will do because you cannot lie. We ask you now to be merciful to us and help us open our eyes so that we can receive and see wonderful things out of your law. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for the wonderful music we've enjoyed today. It's been great. And um, ladies, thank you especially for singing for us. Um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. There are a couple details about that song that help us understand it and the passage of Scripture we're going to look at. As uh, we noted earlier, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote it. Uh, at a time, he's 57 years old, the father of six and a widow, and his son, his oldest son, Charlie, has just been uh, wounded in a Civil War battle. He is rushing to Washington to see him, uh, and he's expecting the worst. And so on Christmas Day, 1863, he tries to capture the dynamic of uh, his own dissonance in his own heart with the trouble in the world that's around him. And doesn't it seem a little incongruous? Here we are thinking about Christmas when we're living in a world filled with pain. And the challenge for us is really to try to find some way to navigate this world in which we find ourselves so that we're realistic about the pain and suffering we experience and at the same time are able to somehow lift our eyes above it and live by faith. Well, that is precisely what's before us here in the passage of Scripture that you just heard. Uh, if you can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at that chapter. It gives us three reasons for joy in a world that's filled with problems. Reasons for joy in a world that's filled with problems. Now, Matthew, uh, in his gospel, is all about promise and fulfillment. And in these verses that we just read, uh, we're going to find references as the Magi look for the Messiah. We're going to find references again and again and again where there's some promise fulfilled in Jesus. <coughs> and those, pro those fulfilled promises help us then in our own joy as we live through this Christmas season. What's to be joyful about in these verses? That's the question. Well, first of all, Jesus gives his people freedom. You'll see it in verse 15. Jesus gives his people hope. It's right there in verse 18. Jesus gives his people love. Verse 23. Faith in Christ provides freedom, hope, love in a world where there's suffering. Or we could cast it the other way. Jesus 
rescues from bondage. Jesus overcomes grief and despair and loneliness. Jesus enhances us even in the most hostile of settings. He, he enhances our ability to live above even the most hostile of settings. Well, first of all then, Jesus gives his people freedom. The Magi have seen the star and they're coming looking for the king of the Jews. It feels like a threat to King Herod and it makes him nervous. And so he says to them, well, please go. Look for the young child. Bring me word so that I can come. I really want to worship him too. A little incongruous, but... Uh, so these Gentile seekers, they do go and they do find the Christ child. And in his presence, they overflow with joy. They submit to him in worship. They offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Herod is really two-faced. He's pretending kindness, but he is plotting, intending, killing. And so God counters his evil design in Joseph's dream, and you'll see it there in verse 13. Rise, flee, Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And so the family does. They go down to Egypt, and they stay there until Herod's death. And then if you look at verse 15, you'll see, we read, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken out of Egypt I've called my son. Where'd that come from? Hebrews? Uh, Hebrews. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. That's where the prophet writes those words. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. What's he talking about? He's reflecting on Moses leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Israel had been in bondage, cruel bondage, the Bible tells us, for 400 years. They had no way out. And so the Lord comes on their behalf, and he delivers them in a spectacular, totally unexpected way. But Matthew now is developing this idea that Jesus' coming makes that earlier deliverance uh, even more full. Jesus does something that Moses couldn't do. How can it be? Well, uh, Moses leads Israel, one nation, out of physical bondage. And Jesus, he leads a world of people out of spiritual bondage. Bondage that is not only represented in our struggles with sin, but also the threat of eternal judgment. So the physical bondage that, to which Hosea points um, refers us over to this spiritual bondage and then freedom in Jesus. So it is, and we heard it. Uh, we've already heard it this morning. So it is that he bears the name Jesus 
because he will save his people from their sins. So let's just do a little survey here, you and me together. Which of us does not struggle with sin and its binding effect? Anybody? We know something about it, don't we? Anger, lust, worry, fear. Where is your struggle with sin the most intense, would you say? You promise the Lord you're going to obey him, and then what happens? Ten minutes, ten days, ten months, ten seconds later, you're right back to the same thing, right? In his kindness, Christ speaks <clears throat> through his word first to expose our sins and then to draw us to himself in his grace. In other words, Jesus is a full-service savior. He saves to the nth degree all those that call upon him because he always lives to make intercession for them, for people like you. That is very good news on a Christmas morning. There is freedom from the bondage of sin in relationship with Jesus, and it's here for you for the taking. Wes Woodell, preacher's kid, rebelled big time against the Lord. Starting in his high school years, his life went from bad to worse, though he was playing in a big band. Um, essentially, uh, eventually he became a follower of Satan, a druggie, uh, and he describes his life with these words. It got to the point I wouldn't even come into work unless I was just falling down drunk. I was long-haired, smelled like cigarette smoke, prideful, arrogant, condescending, not a pleasant person to be around, and considering suicide. But miracle of miracles, the Lord saved him. He's serving Christ right now, uh, making the good news of the gospel available to others. Jesus gives his people freedom as a gift. So that's the first reason for Christmas joy. The second one, well, look at verse 18 now. Uh, Jesus gives his people hope. The Magi leave town without even extending the common courtesy to let Herod know where he can find Jesus. And as an outworking of his pseudo-faith, what does Herod do? He orders all the baby boys in the area, two years old and under, to be murdered. Imagine it. Soldiers appear at your door, and they take your baby by force. Do they kill him right in front of you, or do they take him to some more secluded place of violence and death? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But you are, you've been violated, you're traumatized, and you're left to relive the horror again and again and again. 
Well, now look at verse 17 and verse 18. Matthew links Herod's atrocity to the Old Testament. And we read, Then was fulfilled what was written by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. When Jeremiah ministered, a Babylonian army attacked Jerusalem and destroyed the city. Then the conquerors rounded up Jewish survivors, took them to Ramah, a town north of the city. And they separated family members, uh, collected them in various caravans, and took them off by force to destinations unknown. Uh, another scene of unimaginable anguish, which is to say, Herod's murdering those little baby boys was not the first national tragedy that Israel had experienced. And in the suffering, the Lord had not forgotten his people. So for those who have lost so much, he says, there is hope for your future and your children will come back to their own country, Jeremiah 31, verse 17. How can that be? How could there be hope for people who are facing this kind of loss? Well, the rest of chapter 31, Jeremiah 31 tells us, God is going to inaugurate a new covenant. And in that new covenant, he will unite all of his people together forever. What a word of promise. You can see the rest of Jeremiah 31 just to get the details for yourself. Agony will give way to joy. Agony must give way to joy because God has made his promise. Now, you know something about disappointment and pain, don't you? Loss, loneliness. But as followers of Jesus, we live between that reality now and the hope that's before us. Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection and ascension mean that God's promise is, that he gave to Jeremiah is going to be fulfilled. So we read in Revelation, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying. The former things have passed away. This Christmas season, then, these words are really an invitation to you. Come with your broken heart. Won't you do that in this moment? The Lord is here for you, and he intends 
for you to be able to face the pain and loneliness and loss that you experience on the one hand and trust him and his promises on the other hand. You can come to him this morning and say, Lord, I choose. I choose to trust you. I choose to wait in hope for you to fulfill the promises that you have made to me. You know the song, Jesus, What is Friend for Sinners? It's a wonderful, wonderful song. Mingled with a list of personal trials, the writer comes back with confidence to the Lord. He says that when friends fail me and foes assail me, when I'm tempted, tried, almost and sometimes failing, when billows of sorrow o'er me roll, even when my heart is breaking, hallelujah, what a savior, hallelujah, what a friend, saving, keeping, helping, loving, he is with me to the end. That's God's word to you today. He's with you right now in the brokenness that you feel. So Jesus gives his people freedom, and uh, Jesus gives his people hope. There's one other reason for joy here, and it's there in verse 23. Jesus gives his people love. After Herod's death, an angel tells Joseph that he can return home. But when he gets back home, he realizes that Herod's son Archelaus, who has his own record of ruthlessness, uh, he's now on the throne. And he's afraid. And so the angel says, well, go to Galilee. So now come down to verse 23. Joseph went to the city of Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Now, this one is a little tricky so hang with me, okay? The prophets don't ever call Jesus a Nazarene. As a matter of fact, you can't find one reference to Nazareth in the whole Old Testament. None. So what's this got to do with Christmas joy? Nazareth was a backwater kind of place where no self-respecting Jew would want to live. He wouldn't want to be associated with that. Proof, Isaiah 9.1. At the same time, the prophets did see their Messiah as despised, rejected, suffering, scorned by the world. And so it's those connections that give us the substance of this fulfillment in verse 23. Our Lord's ministry was, from its inception, and would be marked by rejection. Uh, and at the same time, it would result in his ultimate expression of love and care for the very people that despised him. Think about it this way. Jesus is the ultimate insider, isn't he? 
I mean, beloved of the Father, one with the rest of the Trinity, uh, the one in whom the whole cosmos is going to be united. But from the beginning of his early life, he's defied and, defi uh, and, and derided. And to what end? This insider chooses to become the ultimate outsider for the sake of outsiders and their need to become insiders. And that's what he does in dying on the cross to pay for our sins. He takes those of us who didn't have a snowball's chance, as they say, and he made us his very own. Jesus makes full the notion of what it meant to be a despised Nazarene by becoming the sacrifice, by laying down his life, even for his fiercest enemies. And at heart, aren't you one of those? I mean, don't you want to keep God at a safe distance by your definition of safe? Don't you want to try to run, do end runs around his claim of ultimate and exhaustive authority over your life? And don't you really want to keep God out of your personal kingdom, uh, out of your plans, out of the way you're going to live your life, the values you're going to pursue? Don't you want to do that? But Jesus comes to lay down his life to make outsiders like you an insider. And he gives his people that privilege by sacrificial love on the cross. What great news for all the peoples of the world what great news for people like us living with the reality of pain. There are a couple of verses in the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. One we didn't hear for sure, but I want to link it to one we did hear. Longfellow writes, then from each black accursed mouth, cannons thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the household born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus gives his people freedom. Jesus gives his people 
hope. Jesus gives his people love. So what can you do with these truths? I suggest you follow the Magi and bow before the king. Come to Christ in this moment with whatever sense of bondage you have, whatever hopelessness you've experienced, whatever love you need. And respond this Christmas with, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the king who 